0: some things around, and it feels a little bit uncomfortable, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're okay, and everything is going to be okay. (laughs) Let's just laugh at the devil right now. Let's just laugh at the devil right now. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, what a, what a sham. <laughs> you can be seated at this moment. God is adjusting. He's aligning some things. You ever been to the chiropractor? Man, that man will scare you when you get in his hands. I thought he broke my neck one time. All that popping and everything else. But unless we're contorted into a certain position... Um, the proper alignment can't happen So God is stretching And he's maneuvering And he's pulling Us in different ways And We have to be careful That in that position We don't lose hope um, Because when you're in the hands of God It, it kind of feels Kind of feel powerless Yeah, You kind of feel powerless. But the only way to get comfort when you feel powerless is to know whose hand you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something about faith and and hope that that kind of work together here. And we're going to just start off. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And the first Sunday is hope. And this is going to kind of set up the theme for the entire rest of... uh, Rest of the year for us, an expectation that Jesus is is coming and that he has come and that he's gonna come again. Um, but hope is so important, but there's this the scripture that I found that just it just rattled me. Me and my wife were at the coffee table and when I'd found it, but it's Romans 15:13, and it says this: now may the God of hope. Why don't we all just say that? The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, now that's a promise right there that I'm going to hang my hat on. The God of hope. Fill us as we believe into him. Now there's something unique about belief is that I can believe something is real um, but not believe um, in the fact that that thing is actually going to uh, protect me or save me or or, or things of that nature. Belief goes a step further. Zach, won't you come up here and help me with this? This is my partner here. Now, last time you tried to hold my hand, and they're not going to do that this time, okay? Remember last time? <laughs> no, I held your hand, didn't I? We really had a moment, okay? I did. It was my fault. So, how many of y'all with me? How do you like it? I kind of like this. Well, um, what do you? How many of y'all believe Zach is real? Okay. Now how many of you believe Zach is capable to fulfill the destiny and purpose that is on the inside of his life? Right. Now, you see there, that was two different things, right? Of course we believe Zach is real, but to believe into him or to encourage him to speak courage and to to have faith enough that would empower him to move into certain realms is two different things. See, a lot of us believe that there is a God, right? You see nature, you see things, you know, Grandma said something, one or two things about the Lord. Oh, yeah, I guess he's real. But do you believe into him? In other words, the Greek word for belief is pisteo, which actually means to believe into. So in other words... It's not just about I'm believing that you're real and not a figment of my imagination, but I believe in you because as I'm stepping into relationship with you, I'm seeing the things that God is doing in you. I'm seeing the cool stuff that's happening, which empowers me to have faith to begin to speak faith words into you so that it produces you to step out into the thing that you're supposed to do. So, the same thing works with God. God is 100% relational. When Jesus reveals who who God is, what does he say? He's the Father. He said, I've come here to reveal to you. You can be seated. Thank you, Zach. I've come to reveal the Father. I've come to reveal to you this relational thing. See, when we enter into the, the narrative of creation, we see God as a creator. But Jesus says, Whoa, I know the story way before he was speaking things into existence. Let me tell you his heart. The heart of God is a father heart. And Jesus came to reveal that reality. So it's not enough to believe God is, because the demons do that, right? Demons laid eyes on God. They even fear and tremble when he speaks. They're more spiritual than us most of the time. Um, But the reality is, is that... When I begin to enter into relationship and begin to believe into God, I begin to have more confidence in his ability to deliver, in his ability to do what he said he was going to do, to believe into the reality that nothing is impossible with him. And I begin to believe into God in a sense that I begin to not just believe that he's real, but I begin to step into the characteristics. I begin to stake my life on the reality of who he says he is. And when I move into that realm of relationship, when I move into that realm, I begin to change the way I see the world. It begins to change the way I see my family. It begins to change the way I see every circumstance. And suddenly I'm filled with hope. Why? Because I moved my faith, I moved my hope from my circumstance, which looked pretty bleak, and I moved it into the one, into the heart of the one that is overseas Seeing the situation in whom I'm in relationship with. So God wants us to transition our view, to transition who, what we're looking at, what we're gazing on, and begin to move it into the heart of God, that God would allow us to be abounding in hope whatever is going on in our life, that we would actually be vessels overflowing in hope. Based on the circumstance, no, because that would, be, that would make us a pretty bleak people. But we are not ignoring situations that are in our life. It's just the fact that we understand the heart and character of God, and when we understand the heart and the character of God, how can you not have hope? You want some hope? Look in the mirror. You shouldn't be here. (laughs) Right? And and here's what the devil, the devil has put on so much discouragement. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. We get honest in here. I've been through the last two weeks so much discouragement. And I finally just said, Lord, what is this all about? Does something ever get on you and you say, this thing got to get off of me because I can't, I can't live like that. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what? And I'm trying to diagnose it and everything. And the Lord is just saying, I'm letting you feel what people are feeling. He said, so you can combat it and you can lead them out. See, God will always lead you out before you're going to lead anybody else out. So I felt that thing, that discouragement thing on me. So I just started combating that thing and just started rising up with hope. I just started speaking hopeful statements. I began to speak uh, the word of God over my life. I began to speak the word of God over different situations that I was going through. Because sometimes hope isn't what we think it is. Not the biblical idea of it. Because usually when hope is used in a sentence, it's kind of got a doubt attached to it, right? Um, like this, like, is it going to rain? Man, I hope not. Do you see how it was like <laughs> like we undo hope? <laughs> or, hey, is this or that going to happen? Man, I hope so. <laughs> it's almost like an undoing statement. The biblical definition of hope is a trust in the Lord that he's going to accomplish the thing that he said he was going to accomplish. Yeah. So you don't have to attach doubt to it if God has said it. You can remain hopeful because the one who is faithful to give you the promise is faithful to see it through to completion. And I think what the devil wants to do is get in some people's ear and get them discouraged about the state of their situation in the current present context that you're in and get you so discouraged that you start speaking doubt words over everything. devil gets you in your emotions, then what are you going to be speaking to your kids? You ain't no good. You ain't going to make it. Look at you. See, all all that happened there is the devil allowed you to get into your circumstance right. and then begin to prophesy your own future over things that, are not, that is not according to his will or his purpose or his promise. He wants to manipulate you to get you to just start prophesying death over everything and then make you feel spiritual about it. Well, I'm just telling it like it is. Yeah, yeah you are, but you need to tell it like it should be. to tell it like, it like it should be. So hope in the Bible isn't attached with doubt. It's, a, it's attached to faith. It's attached to whatever. If I'm going down with this ship, I'm, I'm, I'm staking my claim. I'm with God no matter what happens. There's no doubt in the biblical hope. And here's what I want to help you with, too, because we all fall into doubt and discouragement, right? So what the devil will do is he'll start speaking against the promises of God, right? And then you'll start doubting some things he spoke to you. And then when you're in this place of doubt, he'll start making you feel guilty about doubting the thing that God spoke to you. (laughs) I mean, he's like the connivinous, like, there's a reason why he's called the dragon or the slanderer or the accuser of the brethren. It's like his whole life is to get you in this guilt-ridden realm to where you feel guilty about what you've done, even though, uh, so like the devil does this. He talks you into something, and then you fall for it, and you make the choice to do it. And then he makes you feel guilty for doing it. He's like that friend that's like an instigator. Hey, man, you ought to do this, that, and the other. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in trouble. Oh, yeah. And then you do it, and then they're like, man, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you you listened to me. And I feel like the devil's like that. He's like, I can't believe you listened to me. I'm such a liar, and you fall for it every single time. So when you're not grounded in hope, you're open to lies. Why? Because you're not grounded in what God is saying about your life. You're open, and you're open to everything else that that the world or the devil or anybody else would say about your life. So, biblical hope is a reality, it's not a feeling. And I feel like if we're not careful, we'll use church to medicate our feelings, but never get to the root issue of what is the reality of the thing. Yeah. And here's what I found about God. Is God will take you where you weren't willing to go to producing you what you couldn't on your own. He'll uncover every single thing that you've been hiding, trying to keep the face and trying to keep the mask on and try to keep the, all this stuff and keep up with everybody. He'll uncover it and says, this is the truth. Are you going to blame other people? Are you going to own your mess? The Lord isn't afraid to take you to dead places. Because how in the world else is he going to teach you how to prophesy to dead things if you're not in a dead place? So don't be dismayed if God is showing you the reality of the situation that you are in. Okay? Because he's gearing you to a place to lose faith in yourself, to lose faith in your own ability, and to begin to transition your hope and point it directly at God. Lord, give me this this morning. Hope is a scope. Okay? For the deer hunters out there. Okay? (laughs) Whatever you put in that scope is what you're going to see. Magnified. So when you set your eyes towards the negative report, When you set your eyes towards this this lens of hopelessness, whatever you put in that sight picture is what's going to be magnified and that's going to be the target that you're shooting for. That's going to be the target that you get. So what we have to learn how to do is not ignore the situation and not pretend it's not there but to look at the one in whom is guiding us and the one in whom hand is on us and the one in whom is our Father. And if we'll look there, we'll know what to say here. Is this okay? I feel like a pin drop in here. You can hear it, okay? <laughs> that, that we have to... Not ignore, like, like faith isn't just like ignoring the reality of things. Like, like, that's not faith. What faith is, is it waits to hear what God says about it. And then whatever God says about it, then that's what it speaks. It's a, it's a waiting on God for him to prophesy the hope into us so that we can prophesy the hope into others, and that's what we're going to be looking at today in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. If you got your Bible, uh, I've gotten some miles out of this text. This text and Isaiah six are like; these are my favorite texts to preach into. And, and, and every time I revisit them, or the Lord brings me back to it, I, I find something new. But but Ezekiel is actually seeing a vision of his people while he's in exile. In Babylon. The people of God had. uh, Turned their back on God. They had not listened to his instruction. And there's something that happens within the relationship dynamic. uh, With the people of God and God is. Is that when the people don't listen to God's instruction. And then he sends judgment. They'll also begin to fight against his judgment. So they're always posturing themselves as an enemy towards God. So whenever God says something, they don't listen. And whenever God would raise up an enemy and that enemy would come, they would then posture themselves as fighting against that thing. So they're not just fighting against God's instruction. They're fighting against God's discipline. They're fighting against God in every single sphere of their life. And at this point, God can't have it. Why can't God have it? Because God has chosen to be in relationship with his people. Okay? And what is God's number one attribute? God is? So when we don't position ourselves to be in relationship with him, he can't show the world through our relationship with him how loving, how kind, how forgiving, how awesome he is into the earth. When he can't show the world how awesome he is in the earth through our lives, he has no other choice but to send judgment so that... We might hit our knees and say, God, I was wrong, forgive me. Now he can step back into that relational component and begin to show his love through us again and how forgiving and how grace-filled and how merciful he actually is. So whenever God sends judgment, it's not because he's mad or he's angry or he can't control his emotions or he flies off the handle, he's not a dad like that. Whenever he sends judgment, it's to chasten us, to reposition us back into the heart of the Father to bring us back into relationship with him. So even the judgments of God are redemptive to bring us back into relationship with him. So if God is judging you and you feel like you're under the hand of God, you need to rejoice because the Bible says that God only chastens those who are His sons and daughters. So if you're experiencing the conviction of God because you're living in sin, you need to say, thank God I'm experiencing conviction because I can repent of my sin and enter back into relationship with Him. If He's calling you out on every little thing and He's letting everybody else seems like they're getting away with everything but I can't get away with nothing, you need to rejoice because you've got a Father in heaven, that refuses to let you go. Period. Need to rejoice. Need to rejoice that he loves you that much. So here's Ezekiel. He's in the middle of three deportations that happen. So Babylon gets rose up as God's instrument to judge Israel. And in 605, there's a judgment. That's where Daniel. Gets deported. In 597, there's a deportation. And then in 587, completely, there's no temple. There's no nothing. Everything's demolished. So God's given them chances. So Ezekiel's a part of this 597 deportation that happens. So Ezekiel is in a different place. He's in a place where he was carried off pulled from his home pulled from everything that he knew to be comfortable and right and sacred he's pulled away from the temple and he's supposed to be a priest how do you be a priest away from the temple he's everything is up in the air and here he is in a pagan nation and god shows him the reality of the heart of the people that he's supposed to be the priest and leading. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing harder for a leader is when God shows you the reality of your people. Because when you're a leader, guess what? It's a reflection of you. See, People that aren't leaders, blame everybody else. Real leaders will always look in the mirror. When things are going good, real leaders will look out the window and congratulate everybody else. When things are going bad, they'll be in the mirror soul searching on their knees. Asking God, what is it in me that's not being communicated to them? So Ezekiel is in this place of priestly leadership, but he's leading the people that are dead. How do you get dead folks to do anything? And what does God want you to do with dead folk? Is this bearing witness with anybody? (laughs) I'm not saying y'all are dead at all. I'm saying our situations that we're in, but it kind of feels like. How do you navigate a graveyard? How did Jesus navigate a graveyard? (laughs) So here is Ezekiel trying to navigate a graveyard. Israel's destiny was to be the center of the universe. Like the rabbis taught that Israel, that the Temple Mount, where heaven and earth intersected and there was this worship of heaven and heaven come down to earth and earth came down to heaven up to heaven and this exchange that was going to happen at the temple mount that was that they were supposed to be the beaming example and that through them all nations would be blessed can you think of the promises that were over these people through you all nations are going to be blessed and and the whole world's going to be brought back into right relationship with you because of your example it was Considered the navel of the universe. What's unique about a navel? That's where life is. That through this place, the promises of God were going to birth a child that was going to set everything right. And here they are in exile with pagans Defeating them at every turn. I'm trying to draw the picture here that this was a low time. Ezekiel's a priest, but not in a temple in exile. But there's something unique that happens to the Jewish faith with these Old Testament prophets. Do you know what it is? And this is what's so weird about us, okay? Okay. Look to your neighbor right now and say, Neighbor, we're weird. We're weird. We just are. Just own it. I don't even care if you're not Pentecostal in here. You're just weird. You're weird for what you believe, and I'm about to tell you why. Listen. (laughs) Check this out. The Jewish faith is the only faith, okay, to actually prosper After the people were defeated and every single thing that they knew to be real and right was taken away from them. They're the only faith to actually increase and stick their chest out further and actually push deeper into their faith. Every other God that existed, Zeus and all that, once you got beat by another country, you were like, I'm out. (laughs) He's not strong, obviously. I'm going with these guys. They got the muscle. The Jewish faith is the only one that grew in intensity during exile. Why? Because prophets stood at the rooftops in the middle of the bad situation, in the middle of death all around, and declared to the world, God's promises are not over for us. God's promises aren't over for you. And that's the heart of the prophet. That's the guts of the prophet. It's not doomsday. It's to stand in the middle of doomsday and say, God's not finished with me. And he's not finished with you. And he's not finished with your situation. He's right in the middle of it. If you'll get your chest out and you'll begin to proclaim the promises of God over your life. Some of y'all let the devil just slap y'all around like y'all. You got to learn to fight that sucker. He ain't in charge. His only weapon is fear. And if he can get you afraid to do the right thing, guess what you won't do? You won't do the right thing. Ezekiel... (laughs) They had the destiny to rule the entire world and the promise from God himself. But see, God has to get Ezekiel in a certain place so that Ezekiel can prophesy again. So the dead place that you are, feel like you're navigating and the unsure place that you feel like you're in it's going to work against the devil (laughs) because it's actually going to be the place that you learn to preach again. It's actually going to be the place where you get your confidence back. It's actually going to be the moment in time where you're not going to be moved by your circumstances or your emotions, but you're going to be starting to be moved by hope in who God is. And what his heart says about you. Not the situation. As hopeless as it looks. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And placed me in the midst of of the valley, that word "placed means to to rest that he actually put me there for a long period of time, like this wasn't just some fleeting moment. he's like, "Here, I put you here." and then the next verse kind of shows that. and it was full of bones. Verse two, he made me walk all around among them, and I realized there were a great many bones in the valley, <laughs> and they were. Very dry. Verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> yeah. What a question. See, God is revealing something in Ezekiel. But Ezekiel has the right answer by not having the answer. <laughs> I've learned that the Lord will speak something to me. And it's like, he really doesn't care what my answer is. He'd rather me ask him what the answer actually is. So Ezekiel said, I said to him, sovereign Lord, you know. So imagine God taking you to a valley of dry bones when you're looking for confidence, hope, and signs of life. You're praying to God for hope and he takes you to a graveyard. And not only does he place you there, the Hebrew word there would mean rest. And not only does he rest you there, he takes you through so that you see every femur, every fibia, every tibia, every clavicle, look at me, Every carpool, every metacarpool, every cranium, every vertebrae, every sternum, every pelvis, let's go. Every phalange. No, this was a, an inspection. And after the inspection, well, Ezekiel, what do you think? Can these bones live? In other words, are you always going to put your faith in me based upon the circumstance you're currently in? Because some of you got big faith in your right circumstance, but let a few things go wrong. And the wheels start falling off and the pistons start shooting out and the hood starts opening up. See, that's not to badmouth you or to put you down. That's just to say, God's showing you the reality of your faith is based on situations, not based on his character and his heart for you. That you've judged his love for you based upon the season that you're in. I want to tell you in the wintertime, trees don't have leaves or any fruit. But that doesn't mean they're dead. And that doesn't mean they're any less cared for. Matter of fact, they need a dormant season so that they'll slow their row a little bit, yeah. chill out a little bit, and receive the rest that they need in that season. Yeah. So he's showing them all these dry bones. And how humiliating was this? Because remember, Ezekiel is like the leader, right? So God is saying okay, you're the priest, and here's what you're the priest of. Hmm. Dry bones. Can you imagine that church service? I mean straw. This was a humiliation to Ezekiel. Have you ever been humiliated when the real reality of something is shown? Like, "Oh my gosh." But I want to tell you, the humiliation is the prerequisite for you to become a priest and to begin to step into your calling. Because if you're still humiliated by some things, that means you're still not over them. It means you're still not over them. If you're still hiding stuff, you still ain't over it. That humiliation is this first step towards priesthood. Because Ezekiel was already a priest by blood. But how I many of you know you're going to have to be a priest by the Spirit of God? not just some kind of pedigree or whatever. So he probably thought, God, you can't be here. You're a God of life, and there's nothing but death around me. And there was probably a part of him that said, God, what are you doing? It feels like you're cruel right now because you're putting me in the middle of this place. How many times do you feel carried to a dead place that feels out of your control? And what happens is is sometimes we we enter into this protection mode where we say, I'm not going to get my hopes up because I know what's probably going to happen and it's probably not going to be good. So we start protecting ourselves by losing hope. And then our whole look of life becomes bleak. And so we walk in these negative attitudes and we walk in these critical spirits and feel like we're these holy people because we're telling it like it is. But the reality is, is we've got to tell it the way God says it is. some of us need to quit protecting ourselves and let our hopes get back up again. Because if you've seen the heart of God for your life there's no way that you can't not get your hopes up for yourself. See this wasn't just about dry bones this is about Ezekiel. God wasn't just stripping the nation of Israel he's stripping Ezekiel Here's your church plant, Ezekiel. Notice Ezekiel didn't ask the experts. Can you imagine if Ezekiel got out his phone and pulled out Google? (laughs) Okay, God, dry bones. Hey, Google. (laughs) What to do when you're in a valley of dry bone oh, it missed about that coming. Oh, the experts say, "These bones are too dead, and they can't live." Uh, the experts say this would be a bad place to try to grow a church. Uh, The experts say this nation is dead and will never return again. Uh, This says that they're gone forever, never to return. You know what I've found about experts? An ex is a has-been and a spurt is barely above a dribble. Is that okay? I debated on whether to do that or not. This man, I'm about to get football in here now because i got to say it. This man by the name of Paul Feinbaum Said about the Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh that he didn't have the constitution within him to beat Ohio State. And said it with a bravado. I mean, he stuck his chest out. He said, Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State, he doesn't even have it within him. It's not possible. Who got the score of that Michigan-Ohio State game? What was that? Man, nobody knows the score in here, but I'm going to tell you something. It was bad. It was lopsided. Let me tell you something. The experts don't know what's on the inside of you. The experts told me I couldn't grow a church during COVID. The experts told me that you're going to have to play it safe. The experts told me a lot of things, and we're still standing here, and we're still seeking God, and we're still going after him with all we got. And whether there's three of you in here with me or not, we're going to have church because he's going to be in the midst of us. Might be too many in here for God to get the glory. Of what he wants to do in this city. I'm just telling you. The experts don't know. Why? Because all they have is the data and the science at this time. They don't know. So we step back and say, God, what are you saying? I got to hear that. I got to hear that. So being in the graveyard puts you in a position to say I either can listen to hopelessness or I can meddle through these bones and find some hope. And this is So, like Ezekiel, whatever your situation is, here's your answer uh, God, you alone know. <laughs> is that we remove ourselves from being the know it alls and submit ourselves into the place of children, into the hand and guidance of our Father. Because if not, he could have fallen into one or two traps. Here's the one or two traps. The first trap is creating our own faith and just speaking out of our own reservoir of what we think ought to happen. And then when that fails, we have egg on our face because, and then we fall into more guilt and more shame. And then we say, well, we're not falling for that again. And then we don't want to get our hopes up anymore. Because what we believed for it didn't happen, and, and then we get in this kind of weird thing. But you can't jump to conclusions. That you have to be quiet for a little bit to hear the heart of God and to hear his heartbeat. Or the second trap would be fatalism dry bones. Nope. Dead. Can't live. Can't happen. They're dead. They're just dead. Dead bones. Yep. And so we spend our life stating the obvious instead of stating what God would have us to say. When we're always stating what actually is, do you know what we're doing? We're pulling God into our sphere of possibility and people will fall under the shadow of our guilt by feeling really terrible about themselves, And they'll operate as a guilt motivator. And some can do it and thrive on guilt. But I'm going to tell you something, most can't. Right. So we pull people under this cloud by telling them how dead they are, how dead their situation is. And then people have to live into the reality. And we sometimes call those people prophets. I'm like, what's prophetic about what they're saying? They're just stating the obvious. When the prophets, every time they declared a judgment, they declared a greater promise that trumped the judgment. Why? Because our hope isn't in people's ability to do the right thing or not. Our hope is in the ability for God to carry out what He said He was going to do. So the most prophetic thing would be to be in the most hopeless situation and to say, I think revival's going to happen. Thank you for those four amens. I'll, I'll take them. I'll take those. That's enough to establish something. Two or three witnesses. there's a forth telling component to prophecy but there's also a future promise from God that would say if my people (laughs) there's an if over every one of us that contains the promises of God and so you've got to hear what the instruction is and you've got to obey the if Ezekiel transferred his hope from the good or bad situation and he transferred it onto God it's like here was hope in his hand he said well I can't place it in the situation I sure can't place it in myself okay God can these bones live you alone know here here take it take it, God. I'll misuse it. I'll kill it. I need you to take this hope. No, no, you tell me what your heart is for me. You tell me what your heart is for my nation. You tell me what your heart is for the church. You tell me, God, what your heart is for my family. God, you tell me what your heart is for my situation, it transitions is hope. And the crazy thing that God tells them to do, verse four, he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. And tell the dry bones, listen to the Lord's message. Does this not get weird? (laughs) This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look, I'm about to infuse breath into you and you will live. There's something about the reverberation of God's voice that changes situations. When God created the universe, how did he do it? He spoke. When he wants to save the world, what does he do? He sends people with the gospel in their mouth is that there's something about saying the things that God says that begins to reverberate throughout the universe and begin to create everything that is and is to be. It's like, it's like string theory. That everything is, held together at a certain tension and that everything has a note and a certain vibration about it that's carrying on. It's like the whole universe is music in a sense. And so we have to tune ourselves to be in the right note with Him. And the only way to tune an instrument with strings it's tension. And then I think about, well, what's the note of God? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But that boom, reverberation of that stretched string Entered into creation and crushed death, hell, and the grave at every single point. And I know some wacky people have hijacked the name it and claim it thing. But if you think your words don't have power, you got problems. Because your words are creating all kinds of stuff around you. All kinds of stuff around you. So he says, I'm gonna infuse you with breath. How do things hear that don't even have ears? Good thing he didn't ask the experts. Said, hmm, how do things hear? Oh, there's a bone in the middle ear that vibrates and says. Hmm, okay. Well, they don't have that. It's like sometimes you've got to trust God. Sometimes you gotta just. Get a word from him and do what he says. I'm about to infuse breath into you and you will live, verse 6. And I will put tendons on you and the muscles over you and will cover you with skin. And I will put breath into you and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So when I read this, I, get a, I probably feel like Ezekiel had a little fear and trepidation. Like, can these bones live? <sighs> What's the safe answer? You know. <laughs> and then like, please say they'll live. And then God starts talking. And when God starts talking, his fingers go from being crossed... To being apart, and then all of a sudden, faith to begin to step into the calling begins to arise. See, some of us ask God for things, and we're like this. And the reason you're still like this is you hadn't heard his response yet. He wants to uncross your fingers. There's a, there's a word in here that just struck me, and I looked it up, but it says they'll put tendons on you. And I thought, wow, okay, wow, well, that, that seems kind of odd. In Genesis 32, when Jacob was wrestling with God, remember that scenario? The Bible says that God touched his tendon and he limped from that day forward. And that Israel saw that tendon in the socket of the hip that they wouldn't even eat it on animals. Because that was the tendon that God touched. Here, God is saying, I'm even going to restore to you how you were before the limp. That God is saying, I'm going to restore to you how you were even before that limp when you wrestled with me and you wouldn't listen to me. That in this time, you won't have to wrestle with me and then be obedient. You'll just hear the word and walk in it. That this would be an overturning even of Jacob's personality himself. And that this army would be moved by the breath and voice of God. And not by anything else. Why? Because that's what brought it to life. So that's what would rule and govern it. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. There was a sound when I prophesied. I heard rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Can you imagine this? I'm like, he's probably like preaching and saying, wow, I can't believe that worked. (laughs) And they just start snaking together. And he just starts seeing these bones shake and, and rattle. And, and as he's beginning to see it, I think he's prophesying harder. I think he's believing deeper. I think he's going further. I, I, just, I just think God just does it in this processual way. God could have done it all like that, but he he wanted to entrench Ezekiel into the process where he would know, Ezekiel, you're part of the process. I need you to prophesy. Do you notice God could have said, Ezekiel, would you get to the side? Because I'm going to prophesy to these bones and show you how it's done. (laughs) And God says, can they live? You alone know. Prophesy to them. And here's what you tell them. It's like God is pulling the prophet into relationship with him to partner and co-labor to be a part of the process of the resurrection of the people of God. And I heard rattling and the bones came together. Bone to bone, verse 8. And as I watched, I saw tendons on them. There's that word again. Then muscles appeared and skin covered them from above. And there was, But there was no Breath in them. Verse 9, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these corpses so that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded and breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet an extremely great army. See, it's one thing to be alive, but it's another thing to have relationship with God. The Bible says in Genesis that when God breathed into Adam, he became a living being. In other words, that the breath of God or the spirit of God, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God, would define the life of God. That's why Romans 8 says that as many as are led by the spirit of God, the same are called the sons of God. That there is this spirit empowerment and this spiritual relationship that we can have with God. But we are walking in the earth. And it doesn't matter how dry every situation seems to be around us. The reality is, when God says to prophesy, and we prophesy, life comes forward. Life comes forward. That every one of us are a conduit of hope. Overflowing, overfilled, abounding with hope. And we ought to just accidentally slosh over and splash some hope on somebody. Huh? You ought to accidentally just stumble and somebody go, oh my gosh, what is that? Oh, I like this. This is good. All right. You ought to accidentally... Just nudge somebody in the office at your work and them go, hmm, what's that? What was that? <laughs> I used to work with a friend, and he thought it was like, you know people that are kind of like an Eeyore is that still relevant? Here you And every time I talked with him, I smiled. But I didn't realize I was doing it. It was just... Because when I got saved, I don't know about y'all, I got saved. Okay? I know some of y'all are still trying to figure out if you're saved or not. I get it. Okay? Your face says no, but... But when I got saved, I'm going to tell you something. I got saved. I was lost, man. I wanted to kill myself lost. Is that okay? Yeah. I, I wanted to kill myself lost. I want to kill myself depression. No hope. No nothing. And when the Holy Ghost hit my soul, I didn't have to tell. No, nobody had to tell me that I needed to be reading my Bible and be praying and be seeking God. God just went ahead and just settled that in me all right then and right there. And I know not everybody's experience is the same. Hey, I get it, man. Some, sometimes it's a process. Well, for me, it was like I woke up, un, I went to bed unsaved, and then I woke up saved. I don't even know. I don't know. It was like born again, like a moment. Like I had that. Like it, my whole face changed. I came to church, people would say, gosh, your face is glowing. And I just did some white strips, but, you know. <laughs> had <to try> <laughs> my wife's giving me that look. All right, we're getting it back in. We're dialing it back in. And, man, I was hopeless. And when hope hit my soul, man, it did something to me. So I'm going into work one way get saved on a Sunday night and go back into work on a Monday a different man different man in one night it was like God was taking me from Jacob to Israel that the younger would be served by the older in other words even though the spirit man was a few hours old the flesh had to submit to the new work that God had done on the inside the older will serve the younger. And this guy would just Eeyore around there. And I guess I was just beaming one day. So I'm in there cutting vegetables. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good, I'm going to tell you now. And I listen to him. He just looks at me. What happened to you? Quit smiling at me, man. (laughs) You're making me want (laughs) to smile. Literally, my smile was projecting onto him, and he started smiling. (laughs) Same guy told me that if his life didn't change by the time he was 25, he was going to kill himself. Guess what? He didn't kill himself. And I've got a suspicion, I've got a suspicion that he saw some hope in me. And that I might have just spilled out a little bit over on him. And that he might have got a hold of something because I got a hold of something. And I wasn't going to let my circumstances, because I still had to face all those scary things of my past. Those didn't go away. God didn't magically sweep them under the rug. I had to confront people, tell them I was sorry. I had to go back and do some things that you need to do. But even though I did that, that wasn't going to steal my joy because God is my rock. He is my anchor. And I have a hope that's behind the veil that I've anchored into that you can't have. You're not going to get it from me because you don't got it. And some of y'all need to tell some of your family members, you don't have my hope or my peace, so you can't have it. I gave that to him. So if you want it, you're going to have to go up there, and you're going to have to get chest to chest with Jesus and tell him you want my hope and my peace. Because you ain't got it, and you ain't going to get it. Is that okay? Notice the correlation between the breath of God and what we see. He said prophesy breath into them. And when he stepped into the breath, this relational component, suddenly he saw things change. He had to step into the place of relationship. Of life source. Because what am I depending on to stay alive? They say, God, I need your breath and not this other. I don't think it's peculiar that in Ephesians, the demonic realm is called the principalities of the air. We would. What air are you breathing? Are you breathing the breath of God? Are you breathing the principalities and powers of the air? God's wanting you to breathe again. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and tell them this is what the sovereign Lord says Look, I'm about to open your graves and will raise you from your graves my people and I will bring you into the land of Israel then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves raise you from your graves my people and I will place my breath in you and you will live and I will give you rest in your own land then you will know I am the Lord I have spoken and I will act, declares the Lord. See, some of you have been wandering through some dry places. And you're wondering why you're there. You're there to transfer your hope from that situation and to place that into the hands of God. Or that He would be your only hope you sure anchor behind the veil, that you are tethered to, that you are His sons, you're His daughters. And that you would start seeing armies instead of bones. You know what I've found? I researched this and there was a a study done on how much dirt you have to move to get one nugget of gold and one guy moved it was on the average two to 91 tons of dirt to find one little piece of gold you know what I found people don't mind you moving their dirt when you can see and you're after the gold that's on the inside of them So it's okay to move dirt, but you better be looking for some gold. And I commit to you, as a pastor, when I look out here, I'm looking for gold. Yeah, I get my hands dirty. Yeah, we got to deal with some things. But it ain't aimed at shame. It ain't aimed to beat you up. It ain't aimed to make you feel rotten about your life decisions. It's because there's gold that needs to be found and the glory of God is at stake. Glory of God is at stake. And I want you to see gold in people. Anybody can see the dirt. From dirt we came, from dust we dirt we came, dust we go. Yeah, anybody can see that. But instead of telling it like it is, why don't you tell it like it ought to be? There you go. Tell it like it ought to be. In Jesus' name. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Lord. Let's just all stand to our feet. I just speak this promise of God over you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that we are abounding in hope. God, that as we enter into this holiday season, We're gonna be in contact with people that might not have any hope. Maybe some damaged relationships. Where there's a weird underlying quiet tension that nobody talks about. That while we're at the dinner table, God, or while we're at relative's house, maybe just a little bit of hope will spill out of us. (laughs) Slosh onto our family. Maybe we wouldn't get into debt this Christmas with credit cards and gifts, but maybe we would be indebted to you this Christmas, God, and we would begin to overflow the goodness of God in every table that we're at and every encounter that we have. God, that we unbelieve the lie that we've believed. God, through you, we are good fathers and good mothers. Through you, God, we are healed in Jesus' name. Through you, God, we can do all things. The Christ strengthens us. God, we're the head and not the tail. for our hope from us, from our situation. We give it-